In the meantime, we continue in our series called Winning the War Within. And uh, do you notice that many wars, you know, the Bible talks about, you will hear about wars and rumors of wars. And as you look at history, do you notice that many wars have to do with the issue of freedom? Take, for example, the war in Ukraine. Ukraine is resisting Russian domination because they want to stay free. On the other hand, you have a portion of Ukraine that wants to separate from their nation because they want to be free. So a lot of wars really have to do with the issue of freedom. And no less than that is the war within. Yes, we do come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and we want to live a new life and be pleasing to Him. But you know, when temptation comes, we feel that, you, you see the visual, it's like a tug of war, right? You feel that tug of war within you. And there's this war within which uh, compels us to think and make a decision. Are we going to do what feels good to us or what is good in God's sight? And that's what the war within is about. And it has to do with sin, temptation. It also has to do with negative emotions like fear and discouragement and all of these things which prevent us from blooming into the person that God wants us to be. So really, the question is, how do we even begin winning this war within? So Pastor Peter started us off on a new season last Sunday, the first episode on... Uh, this new season about winning the war within. And this is what we heard last week. So just like in the TV series last week on winning the war within, this is what we learned. Know your new life, know your new freedom, and live out your new life. Now, if you've missed that message, you've missed half of your new life, so you better go back and listen to that message. But for today, we're going to be zeroing in on this new freedom. What really is this new freedom about? How can it be true for us? How can we truly understand what freedom is as God intends it for us? How can you and I experience it and help others experience the same? Okay, so we'll be, we'll be starting with Romans chapter 6, verse 15. And we'll actually go into part of Romans chapter 7 because it's like one continuous idea, if you will. So let's begin. Paul says in verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? May it never be. The last verse that we saw last Sunday was, Sin shall no longer be your master because you are no longer under sin but under grace. And now Paul anticipates, you know, this guy is an amazing, intelligent guy. Plus, he has the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And so he's always anticipating what people may be thinking. And before anyone can say anything, he says, what then? In Tagalog, o ano ngayon? Now, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? May it never be. In other words, if you're even thinking or have thinking that now that you are no longer under the law but under grace, you can do whatever you want, think again, no way, that is not the definition of the Christian life. And that is not the definition of true freedom. People think today that true freedom is being able to do whatever you want. But the truth is, when we look at the Word of God, that is not true freedom. Actually, it is the opposite. And we will hear Paul explain that even more as we go through the verses today. 
So today's message is this, through freedom, know your new master. This is the amazing divine irony of the Christian life. For us to be truly free, we have to be under a new master. And our new master's name is Jesus. But it, it can't just be something intellectual. We have to really know him in our hearts, in our lives, in an experiential way. And when we come to know Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord and Master of our life, that is when true freedom begins. So, do you want to experience true freedom in your life? Do you know people who need to understand what true freedom really is? So, Lord willing, as we go through the message this morning and finish our, the rest of our time together, we will understand it, we will experience true freedom, and we will be able to tell others as well. So here is the simple principle of true freedom for today. To experience true freedom, Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone must be the master and the Lord of our lives. It's a very simple statement, but not easy to really you know, personalize. Because people, we naturally want to be our own masters. So for us to experience true freedom, Jesus Christ must be the master and Lord of our lives. And why do I emphasize this? Because for most people, they think of Jesus as simply, well, not, maybe not simply, but the savior of their souls from hell. And that is true. He did come to earth to accomplish that, to pay for our sins, that he may be indeed our savior. But if that's all that, is, that there is to our view of Jesus, then we're looking at Jesus as fire insurance. You understand what I'm saying? But if that's all he is to us, we are missing the point. If that's all he is to us and the rest of us thinks, okay, now that I'm saved, I can do whatever I want, we are not treading the path to true freedom. We're going in the exact opposite direction. So how do you and I experience true freedom by knowing our new master. We have two points for this morning. Hang on. Okay, I'll do it the old way. <laughs> two things that we will learn from the passage we will look at. First, we are freed from sin, but we are bonded to Christ. Second is, we are released from the law, but we are joined to Christ. You see, we are bonded, we are joined to a new master. And when that happens, our life will be a life of what? True freedom. So you and I need to understand this divine irony of the Christian life, where we are freed from one thing, but then we are bound or bonded to another, our new master. So let's go to the next verse. Paul says, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. The phrase present yourselves means to, make, to put yourself at someone's disposal. That's what it means. And the word slave, doulos, which you see all over the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings, is a word that means someone who, is, uh, who submits his, himself and his will 
to the will of another, someone who is bound to another person. And here Paul is basically saying, ultimately, our life will go in one of two directions. He says, either you, uh, you will be a slave of sin, resulting in death, which we've heard many times since we started in Romans. Death means separation from God forever. Or, or he says, a slave of obedience, obedience to God, to Jesus, resulting in righteousness, meaning the righteousness that has been imputed to us by grace, we now begin to live out. And that's why the third point of last week's message was live out your new life, meaning we begin to live a life that is right in the eyes of God. So Paul is saying, you know what? In the end, our lives will take only one of either of these two directions. And that's why when people think that if they pursue a life of just doing what they want, if they think that's true freedom, that is not. Because eventually, because of our sinful nature, we will gravitate towards sin and we will become slaves of sin. And sin is the most cruel master you and I could ever have. During Paul's time, slavery was a reality. And it is true that people, some people, not, not all the slaves in the Roman Empire were slaves because, you know, they were uh, captives of a conquered nation. Some people actually presented themselves to be slaves. And many times it was because they owed a debt that they could not pay. And so the audience that Paul was addressing understood what it meant to present yourself as a slave. But there was more context to this, especially for a Jewish audience, which we will discover together later on. But let me just uh, revisit one of my favorite movies ever. Do you remember the very first Avengers movie? At least the one from the uh, MCU, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know there were Avengers movies in the, like, the 90s. Don't even bother watching them, okay? But the very first Avengers movie, uh, and do you remember that scene where Loki, you remember Loki, the guy with the horns? You remember Loki, right? The bad guy. And then there was this crowd of people in front of him. And there he was with his horns and his staff. And what did he tell the crowd? Kneel! And they knelt down. And you know what he said to the crowd? This is what he said. You know, sometimes we can learn something from Marvel. Sometimes, sometimes. This is what he said. Is this not your natural state? Remember, the people were kneeling down. Is this not your natural state? The bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power and for identity. You were made to be ruled. In the end, you will always kneel. Wow. That's not in the Bible, huh? that's in the movie. But you know what? In a way, he was right. And as I said earlier, if people pursue what they think is freedom, i.e. doing whatever I want, in the end, they will bow the knee before the master of sin. And they will regret it. And many times, it will be too late to undo the damage that has been done. But rather, when we present ourselves to Jesus, we bow the knee to Him as our Lord and our Master. And when we bow the knee to Jesus, we do it with joy. We do it in worship. 
We do it with a grateful heart, and we do it with humility. Can I hear an amen? That's our new master. That is Jesus. And when the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen and amen. Let's go back to what Paul was saying. Enough of Loki. Back to Paul. Back to the Bible. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, in other words, he's rejoicing with his audience that he can now speak in the past tense. And I know that for most of you here, that is also true. Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. See, willingly, with all joy, submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus. Obedient from the heart, to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Again, we were freed from sin, but only to be bound to our new master. But it is a, a, bound, a binding that is happy and truly liberates us to be the people God wants us to be. You know, you may be asking, what does true freedom in Christ look like? Let me give you an example. Let me tell you the story about one of our members. This young lady had a super dysfunctional family background. I mean, I won't tell you all of the details, but it, it was really so terrible. Uh, at one point, you know, her mother and father had separated. The mother got a boyfriend. The boyfriend was in the house one night. And when this young lady, still very, very young at that time, uh, went to bed, the boyfriend of the mother molested her. And so she, she was so full of anger and bitterness towards her parents, towards the family. And she was just a, a, a train wreck emotionally, so to speak, and spiritually. And as a result of her, of her very dysfunctional life, she got into several immoral relationships at a very young age, one after another. She was still in school when this was happening. And this was really just to help fill her empty tank. But of course, without Jesus, that tank will remain empty, as most of us already know today. And things just got worse. You know, her aunt, invited her to CCF one day, and she went, and, and she kind of liked what, what she saw and what she heard uh, together with that, uh, the, the youth that were congregating that day. She would come back to CCF, but her life was not changing because her primary reason for coming to the ministry, to coming to CCF, was to get away from her family. That's really what she wanted to do. I want to be free from all of these people who are ruining my life in her mind. And one day, she took us a step towards what she thought was greater freedom. She got her own apartment, and she said, well, maybe now I can really live my own life. Unfortunately, when her sources of money began to run out, and she could no longer pay for her apartment and her other living expenses, her life hit an all-time low. Because this is when she started selling herself, selling her body, selling herself for sex. And like I said, this was like the absolute lowest point, the breaking point in her life. But God is a persistent pursuer of lost people. 
And so uh, she was invited back to church. And to make the long story short, she came to know who Jesus really is. And so one day she gave her life to Christ. And just to fast forward to today, she is a totally transformed person, reconciled to God, reconciled to her family, happily married, and now serving the Lord with her life. That is what true freedom in Christ looks like. Okay, so let's um, try and get a description of true freedom from our dear friend, Dr. Sean McDowell, who's been a guest of ours several times. This is what he says. True freedom is not a matter of doing what you want without restraint, but cultivating the right wants and living in obedience to God's will. In other words, freedom results when our wants align with God's will. Are we getting the picture now of what true freedom is really about? Knowing our master. And you know, when we know, when we begin to see how wonderful Jesus is, we will say, you know what we sang earlier, my heart is yours. Take it all. I'm yours, Jesus. I don't want be, to belong to anyone else. I don't even want to belong to me. I'll mess up my own life. I want to be yours, Jesus. Take me as I am. Change me to be what you want me to be. Okay, so let's go back to Romans. Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. So here Paul is saying, you and I have been gifted with a wonderful privilege of choice. And so now Paul is saying, with the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, with us no longer being under judgment, for us having been justified, declared free of sin, and our slate is wiped clean, he says, now it's your turn. In the power of the Holy Spirit, come before Jesus. Present your members, meaning not just the members of your body, but even your mind and your will, everything about you. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. We've seen this word many times in our journey through Romans, sanctification. It simply means becoming more and more like Jesus, behaving more and more in the way that God wants us to live our lives. But let me bring your attention to <clears throat> another portion of this verse right here. It says here, before when you presented your members as slaves to impurity, it says, and to lawlessness, which is another word for disobedience, all right? Lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness. I wonder why God put that phrase in this verse. And I realize that I believe God is reminding all of us that sin is a it's really a death spiral. It never gets better. If we live in slavery to sin, we can never expect to improve because we will at some point always fail. And if when we become slaves to sin, then we will be obeying that cruel master. Take for example, you know, an example of lawlessness leading to further lawlessness. Many of you know that at a very young age, 
<clears throat> I became enslaved to pornography. And this was before the advent of the internet. Now, of course, when I was very young, the only thing I could do to feed my fantasy was, of course, use my imagination or look for pornographic material which some of my family members thought they had cleverly hidden under their clothes, but I could always find them. But when I became older and I had more time for myself and I was more independent, I could already live out my fantasies in real life. I could actually commit actual physical immorality and not just in my mind. And so lawlessness really results in further lawlessness. Let me give you another simple example. I already asked you how many of you told a lie in your life, and all of you were so honest, you all raised your hands together with me, of course. But even this whole thing about lying, something as seemingly simple as telling a lie. Do you realize or have you experienced, you know, the moment you tell one lie many times, you have to tell another lie to cover up your previous lie? Am I telling the truth or am I lying? I'm telling the truth, right? And you know, as I ponder this very basic reality of the sinful life, I actually found the lyrics of a song. The song was written in 1950. I don't know the song and I'm not going to sing it, okay? But let me just show it to you. It's really amazing. <clears throat> the title of the song written by Tommy Edwards, 1950, is One Lie Leads to Another. I'm sure many of us have experienced this in our lives. I certainly have. Now look at what the song says. One lie leads to another. Two lies covers the other. Three lies, now you're in an awful fix. Four lies, you're getting in deeper. Five lies, piling up steeper. Get wise, you're going to be telling six. You'd better listen and take care. Don't you tell seven because you won't go to heaven up there the good with the bad don't mix. Isn't that amazing? I mean, even songwriters understand how lawlessness results in further lawlessness. And indeed, even, remember we said liars, remember that Revelation verse? All liars, they will go to the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So this guy somehow, I pray, understood that truth. But it's far more serious than a simple song can communicate. I remember many years ago, this whole thing about one lie covering up another. I remember many years ago, I was on a date with a wonderful woman who eventually became my wife. Now, I was not a Christian then, so I was not only two-timing, I was three-timing, four-timing. You understand the word two-timing? Okay, uh, anyway. So, we were in this place, we were on a date, and <laughs> I, I had been seeing other girls, <clears throat> and I'm not sure exactly what I said to her, but I said something like, you know, the last time we were in this place, then she said to me, we were never here before. <laughs> and then she said, it must have been with another girl. Okay, you get what I'm saying, right? So lawlessness leads to further lawlessness. It is so true. And then Paul says in verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Huh. Well, what does that mean? Okay. Let me go back to Star Trek. 
If you watch Star Trek, you will know that there is such a place called the neutral zone. If you don't believe me, you watch. You will hear that, the neutral zone. Captain Picard will say, number one, are we entering the neutral zone? In life, there is no neutral zone. Paul is saying, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, meaning to say, you wanted to break free from living the life that God wants for you. In your mind, you were free. But the truth is, you were slaves of sin. And then he says, therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Again, he, he is repeating himself for emphasis, for people to realize that they need to know their new master. But now, having been, can we read this together? <clears throat> having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. You'll notice how Paul builds it up. He talks about righteousness, living right before God, imputed righteousness of Christ in us, sanctification, living a life that is holy and pleasing to God. And finally, he says, the outcome, eternal life. Now, don't misunderstand Paul. He's not confused. Very clearly in Romans, you and I learn, eternal life is not something we earn. It is not the outcome of what we do. It is a gift from God. But before we clarify that even further and finish off chapter 6 and go into chapter 7, I just want us to realize <clears throat> this is very strong language. Freed from sin and enslaved to God. Understandably, many people today don't like the word slave. It's understandable. There are literally millions of people in the world right now who are victims of modern-day slavery, human trafficking. And that is one of the most awful evils in the world today. But you and I need to understand the concept that Paul is building and the context behind it and why you and I need to be freed from sin and enslaved to God. Again, it's the word doulos, one who submits his will to another, one who is bound to another. But before we go there, let's uh, just finish off chapter 6 with a very familiar verse, shall we? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a very well-known verse. You can share the gospel using only one verse in the Bible. And this is one of them. And again, just to make sure we understand, <clears throat> a wage is something we get, is something we deserve, and we get it in exchange for something we do, right? That's what a wage is. And when you ask a person who's a working person, what can you say about your wages? He'll say, I deserve more. Okay, but when it comes to sin, our wage, what we get in exchange for it, it what in, and it is what we deserve, is death. But it says eternal life is a free gift from God. But you know what else I learned about this word wage? The word wage in this particular verse refers to, it's like a subsistence allowance. It, it's, it's very small. 
It, it's like a, an allowance given to a soldier to buy food. It's that basic. And when I thought about that, I realized, you know, when we pursue a life of what we think is freedom and eventually become a slave of sin, we sell ourselves so cheaply. We sell ourselves so cheaply to sin. And in tremendous contrast, the gift of God, eternal life, is priceless. You cannot measure its value because it was purchased not by silver, not by gold, but by the precious blood of our new master, Jesus Christ. So indeed, there is no comparison. So, just uh, visually, so that, oh, sorry, it might help you remember. <clears throat> Freed from sin, bonded to Christ, once upon a time, if you are now a follower of Jesus, you were a slave of sin, you died to sin, you were freed from sin, and now we are bonded to Christ. Or, if you ask me, I will use the word the Bible used, enslaved to Christ. I am not ashamed to say that I am a slave of Jesus because that word means I belong to Him. Now, what is the... Praise God. I heard somebody... <laughs> but you see, we need to understand the context of bond slave. Okay? So let's go back to the Old Testament so that you and I can have the same appreciation as many of the people in Paul's audience. Slavery existed in the Old Testament, even among the Israelites. Okay? But again, it's not the same as what many images in our mind are uh, about slavery, you know, being kidnapped from Africa, brought to Europe and the U.S. No, no, no. It's very different. <clears throat> it says, Deuteronomy 15, if your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, i.e., as a slave, then he shall serve you six years, but in the seventh year you shall set him free. It's amazing. God actually had a law like that. And not only will you set him free, when you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. In other words, come the seventh year, you are to set your slaves free. And don't just say you are free to go. You are to bless them liberally according to their needs and according to your capacity. However, look at what we read next. It shall come about if he, the slave, says to you, the master, I will not go out from you. Oh, so apparently there will be instances like that where the slave is told, you, will, you can go free, I will give you, you know, as much as I can to prepare you for your new life of freedom. Apparently there are times when a slave says to the master, I will not go. Why would a slave say that to his master? Now we will discover. 
He says, I will not go out from you because, number one, he loves you. He loves his master. And your household. He loves the master's family. Since he fares well with you. Meaning to say, in his mind, he realized, you know, if I'm going to pursue my so-called life of freedom out there, I will never be as, you know, in a good place as I am with my master today. And that's why he says, I will not go out from you. Then you shall take an awl, which is a manual drill. Uh, today, you can use an electric drill if you like. You shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your servant forever, for life. Also, you shall do likewise your maidservant. Uh, in other words, this person is going to become a, a part of this household, a permanent fixture, if you will, in this home. So, if we are going to be a bond slave of Christ, again, because we love our master, we love his family. You know, um, by the way, if we love the Lord, that means we need to love his people too, right? Because God said, you cannot love God whom you cannot see if you do not love the person that you can see. Anyway, what should be the mindset, okay? So in terms of application, what should be the mindset of a bond slave of Christ? Well, three things. We need to think, what does my master want? That's why we read the Bible. Because here we understand the will and the commandments and the principles of God. What will make my master happy? In the morning, we can ask him that. Lord, how can I make you happy today? And finally, how can I, make, how can I best serve not only my master, but his family, other Christians? And why is that an important question? Because this is what Jesus said after he washed the disciples' feet. He said, if I then, the Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. And if Jesus, our master, took on the role of the lowest slave of the house and washed the disciples' feet, he says, you should do the same for one another. How does this work? Well, let me tell you another story. This is a story about a lady named Belle. I have, a, I have permission to share her story. Also, she was part of a very dysfunctional family, uh, jumping from one relationship to another, immoral lifestyle, angry at people, angry at God, uh, one failed relationship after another. And then, you know, in the midst of her dilemma, there was one last failed relationship that really allowed her to hit rock bottom in her life. And at that moment, or around that time in her life, she, made a, she was able to meet someone who connected her with CCF Singapore. Yes, there is CCF in Singapore, by the grace of God. And so she connected with that community, and she gave her life to Jesus. And, you know, the bitterness and the anger, uh, she was healed of that in her heart, in her soul. And then she began just to grow in her relationship with her new master, retreats, Bible study, attending discipleship group. Now, at some point, and she, she said, no, she said, I, I don't want any more relationships. My relationship is with Jesus. I'm happy with my master. But then there was a man from Australia who would visit 
Singapore, and they met, and you know, they, they started to get, it, to get to know each other a little better. And when she eventually moved back to Australia, their relationship blossomed and they got married. And today, this, this amazing couple is serving in CCF in Brisbane, discipling people intentionally, just like what Pastor Danny described. And these changed lives, folks, this is taking place all over the world. And unless people like Pastor Danny tell us about these stories, we will never know that they're taking place. But praise God, we can trust Him. This is really happening all over the place. So, back to our uh, outline. True freedom, know your new master, freed from sin, bonded to Christ, released from the law, joined to Christ. We'll look at a few verses from chapter 7, but uh, that shouldn't take all that long. But again, the principle to experience true freedom, Jesus Christ must be the master and the Lord of our lives. So in chapter 7, Paul says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? Pastor Peter mentioned this last week. You cannot prosecute a dead person. But in this particular um, verse or passage, Paul chooses, by the influence of the Holy Spirit, to talk about a particular example. This is what he says. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. Why in the world was Paul using this analogy? Well, remember, we're talking about dying to the law and now being joined to Christ. And so he concludes, a couple of verses down, he says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law. Remember last week, we were buried with Christ in baptism. Our old self is gone. I have been crucified with Christ, etc. You and I were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another. Now, take note. It is not the law that died. It is What's the right grammar? It is us, it is we. O Tagalog na lang, tayo yun. We died to the law. Why? So that we might be joined to another. Who is this another? To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Now keep, keep, this, in the, <clears throat> excuse me, keep this in the back of your head, the one about bearing fruit for God, because that's important as we learn how to live uh, in true freedom. <clears throat> excuse me. Then Romans chapter, uh, verse 5 says, For while we were in the flesh, <clears throat> the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. You know, Paul is explaining uh, the difficulty when we are bound to the law and when we think our way to heaven is by trying to obey the law as best as we can. We will never get it perfectly right. Even James says, even if we obey the whole law but stumble at one point, we're guilty of breaking all. And here he talks about the sinful passions aroused by the law. Well, what does that mean? It's kind of hard to grasp, but let me give you a simple example. About a week ago, I went through an MRI. We all know what an MRI is, right? And so they, they put me inside this machine and... You know, sometimes I wonder if I were a little bigger, I wouldn't even fit. 
It's so tight. And then they tell you, sir, you cannot move. Oh. And this time, they said, sir, for the particular image we need from you, we have to tie your feet. So they tied my feet. And you know, before they tied my feet, my feet were relaxed. But once they tied my feet and they put me inside the machine, my feet wanted to break free. And you know, I don't know how long I was in that machine, but the longer I was there and the more I was trying to tell myself, feet do not move, feet do not move. Oh boy, all the more my feet wanted to move. So finally, they pulled me out of the machine, it was over, and they took the, the, the strap off my feet and I felt free. But folks, that's the way it is when we're bound to the law. No matter how we say, I, remember that old song? I'm sorry, I can't say this in English. It's a Tagalog song. Gusto kong bumait, pero hindi ko magawa. In English, never mind, you figure it out. Just Google it. But here it says, But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Folks, earlier we said, bear fruit for God. Remember, I told you, keep it in the back of your head. Now serve in newness of the Spirit. In other words, in simple English, you and I cannot experience true freedom without the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul wrote elsewhere. I say, walk by the Spirit. In other words, live day by day, moment by moment, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. You'll hear more about this next week. So that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. What does that mean? Let's keep reading a few verses down. He says, but the fruit, the outcome of being filled with the spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of you want these in your life right now? Hallelujah. I know we all do. And it only comes when we know our master and we live by the power of his spirit. And he says, against such things there is no law. You look in the Bible and you show me a verse that says, uh, do not be joyful. You won't find it. Because against such things... There is no law. Amen? So again, the same picture, released from the law, joined to Christ. We have died to, we have been freed from the law. And so let's finish up the last few verses. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Paul is just making a clarification because earlier he said we were freed from sin. Sin is a bad thing. So we were freed from it. Now we're joined to Christ. Then he said, we were bound to the law. Now we're freed from the law. We are bound to, joined to Christ. So is the law like sin? Is law a bad thing? Is the law a bad thing? He said, no, of course not. It's not. It's a wonderful thing. It was given by God. He said, may it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. In other words, the, the law gives sin a name. And the law holds us accountable because sin now has a name. And we can also confess our sin because we know sin has a name. And it says, you but sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me, coveting of every kind for apart from the law, 
sin is death. What does he mean, sin taking opportunity through the commandment? The, word, the phrase taking opportunity here is like setting up a base of operation. For example, in a war, you set up a base of operation, that's where you fire missiles into your enemy territory. Sin taking the opportunity through the commandment. How does that work? Let me give an example. Let's say you're angry and bitter towards somebody. You're really angry and bitter, and you open up the Bible, or maybe your D group leader, your counselor opens the Bible and shows you. What does it say? And it says, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. You know, many times our immediate reaction, inside at least, is, I'm not ready. Sin taking the opportunity through the commandment. The command is to forgive. But in our sinful nature, ah, I'm not ready. Or let him make the first move. Or you don't know what this person has done to me. That is our natural sinful reaction, right? So it produced in me coveting of every kind. Apart from the law, sin is dead. And then he concludes, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be, rather it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Bottom line is this, the law is good. What kills you and me is sin, because the wages of sin is death. That's the point that Paul was trying to make all this time. But let me go back as we end to the analogy of if a person's spouse passes away, that person is now free to enter into a new relationship. I know many of you know this. In the Bible, the church, you and I, we are described as what? The bride of Christ. It's a wonderful picture. We are the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. And in the book of Revelation, this is what we read. <clears throat> Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's you and me. Her, his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So in application, how do we make ourselves as those who are joined to Christ, freed from the law, joined to Christ as his bride, how do we prepare for his coming? And we know he's coming soon. Well, it says, through our righteous life. What should be our mindset then? Our mindset should be as those joined to Christ as Lord. How can I keep myself faithful and pure in my mind and in my body as I await my final unification with my bridegroom? What can I do to please my Lord? How can I honor him always in my words and actions? And as we end our time together, I want to call in someone who wants to honor his master and his Lord publicly through the life that has been transformed. Uh, our brother, Kem, Kem, will you come and share your story with us briefly, and then we'll pray for you, and we'll end. Let's welcome our brother, Kem. When I was two years old, my mother left the Philippines to work abroad. I was grateful for the sacrifices she made for our family. 
but not having her around was difficult. I grew up seeing my father cheat on my mom while she was away, and I swore to myself that I would never become like him. On the rare occasions that my mom was home, she tried to raise me as a Christian. She sent me to a Christian school, made me serve in church and participate in other religious activities. I knew that Jesus died on the cross for me, but this was all just in my head. Without a personal relationship with Jesus, I fell into a lifestyle of sin. I proudly indulged in vices and immoral relationships. I was so caught up in my need for affection and recognition that cheating on girlfriends was normal for me. And I would often treat my friends to alcohol and other vices to gain their approval. My desire to show off financially became such a big part of my life that I started doing whatever it took to earn more money. At work, I made many compromises, fake sales and stole company products to hit my quotas and make money on the side. In my mind, I believed that everything I was doing was okay because all I had to do was ask God to forgive me later. What was important to me was finding my lifestyle and pleasing my friends and girlfriend, even if my decisions took a huge toll on my family and ended up causing a rift between me and my mom. In 2015, I was invited to participate in a youth conference by my girlfriend at the time. I enjoyed myself and started attending CCF. I attended Sunday services and served in a ministry, but still my sinful lifestyle of cheating, stealing, and immorality continued. In early 2017, my life started to crumble. My compromises at work were discovered, and the company launched an administrative case against me that required me to pay nearly seven figures in damages. My girlfriend discovered that I had cheated on her, and our relationship relationships continued to be on the rocks. I found myself crying out to God. I completely surrendered my life to Christ. What I knew in my head about His saving grace moved from my head and filled my heart. While I prayed for a solution to my problems, I decided to take a leap of faith and apply for a job opening at CCF. I said, God, if this is where you want me to be, please make a way for me to get a job here quickly. In just a few weeks, I was hired for a position in CCF Beyond as the International Church Planning Communications Coordinator. However, God clearly was not done with me yet. After months of trying and failing to keep my relationship with my girlfriend pure, it became clear that it wasn't working. We finally broke up, and the Lord took away the last piece of my past life. It was then that I truly understood what it meant to be broken. Meanwhile, God gave me the unique opportunity and privilege to be intentionally discipled and mentored by several pastors, all of, all of whom helped me to a joyful slave of Jesus Christ with Him as the Lord of my life. I experienced God's grace in amazing ways. First, the case was brought against me by my previous employer, was suddenly closed, and my debt was forgiven completely. Later on, I was able to reconnect with my family and to apologize to them, especially my mom. As my disciples continued to mentor me, God gave me the chance to pay it forward, discipling others as well. Over the pandemic, God allowed my family who are abroad and in the Philippines to gather and have our first family Bible study. We were able to ask each other for forgiveness, get to know each other more, and I was able to intentionally reach out to them and disciple them, 
especially my nephews. As I continue to work with CCF Beyond, God has also granted me the privilege to connect with people abroad, to help plant churches and form new D-groups in locations like Illinois, Taiwan, South Korea, Houston, Kuwait, and Florida. Locally, God has also given me the blessing of leading my own growing group of men and serving in the big singles ministry. Another blessing is that I am about to get married to my fiancé, Meg Mendoza. There are no words to express how grateful I am to my great and powerful God for how He allowed me, a sinner, cheater, and thief, to be redeemed and to serve Him in ministry. I am not perfect and I still have my struggles. But God is faithful and it is His love and Lordship in my life that strengthens me to strive to be more like Christ and practice moment-by-moment moment obedience. I am Hakem Monte, once a slave to money and influence, now redeemed and renewed in Christ. To God be all the glory. Amen. Now, just in case you're wondering to whom he is engaged, this is the love of his life next to Jesus. So, folks, shall we pray for these two and uh, for, for their tribe to multiply? to influence this world for Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and we thank you for changed lives, like Kemp's life. And we know that Meg has her own story to tell. Maybe someday we'll hear her tell that story as well. But Lord, in the meantime, we commit them to you, their families, the ministry that you've entrusted to them. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you will do an amazing work in and through their lives. Protect them, help them to be pure, help them to be uh, joined to you and bonded to you first of all as the Lord and Master of their lives. And then we know that that will bring them closer together eventually as they become man and wife. So God, we just speak blessing into their lives. We thank you for them in the name of Jesus and all of Jesus' people said, amen and amen. Thank you guys. Congratulations in advance. So again, our message today is true freedom, know your new master. And I wonder, do we know him? Who is this new master? And let's just end by proclaiming many things about Jesus. This is not complete, but let me just go through it really quick to give him the glory. Jesus is the best master. Why? This is our Jesus. Compassionate, forgiving, loving, servant, prayerful, all-powerful, all-knowing, source of our strength, the giver of wisdom, our shepherd, our King of all kings, righteous, just, and sovereign, merciful, gracious, our healer, our Prince of Peace. He is faultless and He is faithful and true. That is our Jesus. He is our new Master. Let's close in prayer together. Father God in heaven, what can we say but thank you for our new life in our new Master? Thank you for letting us know what true freedom is about. And it's all about belonging to you, following you happily, joyfully, obediently with all of our heart. And Father, if there's anyone in this place today or joining us online, listening, watching, if there's anyone out there who has not yet given his or her life to Jesus as Lord, to be his or her Lord and Master, we pray that this will be the day of salvation and transformation. If this is true for you, you in this room, you who are online, pray this prayer. 
Give your heart to Jesus. Give him your life. Say, Lord Jesus, I don't want to be king of my life or queen of my life anymore. I want you to be my Lord and my master and savior. Will you come into my life? Forgive me of all that I've done wrong and make me a new person in you. Help me to follow you the rest of my life and to see you face to face in heaven. Amen, Lord Jesus. God, bless all your people today in the days to come. For your glory, for your honor, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless us, everyone.